Welcome to Greg Kelly Reports. I'm Eric Bowling, filling in for Greg this week. I can't describe how devastating the video coming in all weekend long was. A condominium collapsing in the middle of the night late last week. Seemingly out of the blue, a relatively young building splitting in half and crashing to the ground. Twelve floors pancaked on top of one another. When the sun came up, the wreckage looked like a bomb had hit it. Now, I was at the World Trade Center two days after it was terrorized. This in Florida looked eerily similar. It also re resembled the 1994 bombing of the Oklahoma Alfred Murrah Federal Building. In other words, no one had any idea what happened to 8777 Collins Avenue in Florida. We spent the weekend glued to the reports, just waiting, hoping for a sign someone miraculously might be found, but not yet. The pile of rubble, similar to the World Trade Center wreckage, broke out in several fires. More reason to lose hope for survivors. After all, the structure is unstable. There's a whole portion of that building remaining that could fall at any moment, like Seven World Trade Center did, which fell hours after Tower 1 and Tower 2 dropped. Now back to Florida, in conditions like these, the whole area is extremely unstable, volatile, and potentially deadly to anyone near it. Yet, within hours of the collapse, with the structure as dangerous as I just described, we saw something amazing. We saw dozens of first responders, hundreds of first responders, underneath this mammoth pile of burning and unstable rubble, drilling and digging in a heroic attempt to find survivors. You know, it struck me, these men, women, and dogs were risking their life and limb to save others, strangers, citizens, because that's what they signed up for. These men and women have families of their own, husbands, wives, kids, who love them and want them to come home at night too. But they put that all aside and did their jobs. Amazing heroes. Our first responders are heroes. They run towards danger while most of us run away from it. All first responders are heroes. Fire, search and rescue, special task forces, cops and military. Heroes, all of them, full stop. But there's a growing trend from our liberal friends on the left to demonize these men and women. What happened next was inevitable. The NYPD experienced mass exoduses of police officers with 75% spike in departures and retirements. And this trend isn't unique to New York City. Chicago, Seattle, and Minneapolis police departments have all reported unheard of rates of retirements and departures compared to a year ago. And in the aftermath of last summer's violent crime wave, Democrats are calling for more police departments to be defunded. That puts pressure on all first responders in any community. Remember, how many Miami-Dade cops do you think are at the 8777 Collins right now? Hundreds, helping fire and rescue and risking their own safety. Cops also run towards danger every day, too, and yet they're demonized by the liberal left. Listen to Minnesota Democrat Elon Omar. I will never stop saying not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. And look what Michigan squad member tweeted earlier this year. Rashida Tlaib said, policing in our country is inherently and intentionally racist. No more policing, incarceration, and militarization. It can't be reformed. Now that is astonishingly foolish.
defund our first responders. And yet, as dumb as that sounded, liberal Democrat mayors listened to these fools and cut back on police budgets. Again, cops help out all first responders. So actually, these mayors were cutting fire and rescue as well as cops' access to resources. So what did these liberal Democrats think would happen? Nothing? Well, they were wrong. Something did happen. Violent crime is spiking across the nation's Democrat-run cities. Look at the murder rate spikes in Omar's Minnesota. Check it out. And in New York City, they pulled a billion dollars from law enforcement this year. A billion dollars. And guess what happened here? The same exact thing. A massive spike in violent crime. Up a massive 52% for murder and over 100% for shootings. But if you listen to squad leader Ocasio-Cortez, crime isn't really spiking. It's me, a conservative's fault. Apparently, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez thinks I'm playing with the numbers. Well, no, ma'am, I'm not being fuzzy with the math. Violent crime is skyrocketing in your city, and you are largely to blame. Simply stated, there is a common denominator here, folks. Homicides are up, with spikes in major cities as much as 800%. Mass shootings are up. Assaults are up. That's the numerator. The denominator? Democrats. It's a common denominator. That's not fuzzy math. That's a direct correlation. Fact. By the way, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez, I know you're numerically challenged. Please hit me up for a math refresher. If you haven't heard, I'll be here at Newsmax for the foreseeable future. So crime is spiking in America, and Democrats are to blame, especially radical Democrats like the squad. They're especially responsible. Now, finally, let's turn to the military, a kind of first responders for America. Our military fights for our liberties and freedom. The American flag and the national anthem are symbols of their fight, and in tens of thousands of cases, their ultimate sacrifice. So when I saw this this weekend, it riled me up, and it should rile you up, too. A U.S. Olympian, Gwen Berry, turning away from the flag as the national anthem was playing instead of being patriotic. Berry draped herself in a black T-shirt that read, Activist Athlete. And Berry said the national anthem doesn't represent her. Well, that's disgusting. Gwen Berry should be stripped of her bronze medal and be tossed off the Olympic team. I think I speak for millions of patriotic Americans here. I don't want her representing America in Tokyo next month or ever. And by the way, corporate America, in a sheepish ploy to appear woke, if you embrace this athlete, I suggest we, the patriotic 50% of America, boycott your products. As the weekend ended last night, I was struck by the fact that the left has divided America. On one hand, conservatives and patriotic Americans respect our first responders, our flag, our anthem, and our way of life. Meanwhile, liberal Democrats aggressively are trying to change this great country, defunding first responders, and create some woke version of the great and powerful global leader that America is. Glenn Berry and too many like her are pulling self-serving stunts to draw attention to some virtue signal blinking in their selfish little minds is just one example. Now they say a picture speaks a thousand words. I would agree.
Let's bring in Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Welcome to both of you guys. Congressman, let me start with you. By, by the way, good to have you guys on. Um, good to be with you. Uh, congratulations, Eric, on the new, hey. uh, new position there at Newsmax. That's well, great. Well, thank That's you. Right. Thank you so much. We don't have a name yet and launch date quite yet, but, you know, we'll we'll take all, all submissions. We're, if we're you happy for you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Congressman, let's start with you. This, sure. uh, this Olympic wannabe athlete uh, decides that she does not want to face the flag and does not want to hear the, the United States national anthem. Yeah. What are your thoughts? And, and some of these pictures are just so disturbing, where she's standing there yeah. in disgust with, a, with her shoulders down, and at one point she's holding up an athlete activist T-shirt. Give us, give us a sense of, of, of what you're feeling with this. So the, 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 very, the very country that allows her to set the goal to work hard and actually make an Olympic team, she's now going to, to attack that country and not, not stand and, and respect our American flag. I, I said earlier today, I, was, uh, I remember that line in the movie Miracle where, you know, Kurt Russell is playing the part of Herb Brooks. And there's that when they're training and he says to the teammates, he says, the name on the front is a lot more important than the name on the back. And that's used to be how the country operated. And we took so much pride in the fact that we live in the greatest nation ever that gives us an opportunity to accomplish amazing things. Uh, I don't think this is going to play well with the American people. I think it's a lot more than 50 percent of the country thinks this is ridiculous and, uh, and probably won't be cheering for this lady as much as they will be for other Americans who rightfully respect our flag when they compete in the Olympic Games. Yeah, Mark, what are your thoughts on this? I, you know, so we, we do. We have a right to peaceful protest, but is the Olympic podium or the stage, the, the, the wannabes of Olympic podiums, is that the place to be exercising your, your First Amendment free right of uh, peaceful protest? Well, I don't think so. And Eric, uh, Jim is exactly right. You know, it's it's not Team Gwent, it's Team USA. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we have is we get to enjoy the Olympics every four years. This time it was put uh, postponed a year because of COVID. But we get to, to put aside our differences and our politics and cheer for Team USA. And for her to do this, quite frankly, is not only disgusting, but it is really not what uh, the Olympics are all about. You know, when we start to see this, Eric, and, and when you see this kind of, uh, of protest, there are certain places that you don't protest. You don't protest at a funeral. You don't protest, in my opinion, during the national anthem, and you don't protest when you have soldiers coming home. So there's some, some areas that basically should be off limits. I think the podium for this third place finisher should be one of those. You know, Congressman, I agree um, with, bo with both of you guys on this. And, and, and part of the problem is for some reason, I've talked about this for a while, probably with both of you guys, um, it's, it's the corporate boardroom seems to a desire to be woke and in a desire to be woke seems to embrace yeah. this type of, of activism. How do we get corporate CEOs and board members to say enough of this? I mean, I hate to be on the right and say recommend boycotting in my monologue. I said, if corporate corporate America embraces Gwen Berry, I think we should boycott whoever embraces that person. Well, they better start paying attention because I was at a rally in uh, Lorain County, Ohio, <laughs> on Saturday night where there were tens of thousands of people who come out to see President Trump and they all respected their flag. In fact, we saw American flags everywhere. They support our country. They have a much different attitude, a much different approach than the woke corporate culture and this athlete who 24 hours later did what she did. So maybe they need to start paying attention. Think about it, Eric. There were tens of thousands of people there on a hot Saturday afternoon, had to wait hours, could have been 
fishing, could have been playing golf, could have been swimming, could have been home having a picnic with their family. But they came out to support the guy who they know is fighting for the things they care about in this country, like respecting our flag, like controlling our What a contrast. So these corporations, they better wake up and see where most of America, I think, is really at. You know, Congressman, I'll stay with that. Uh, let's play a sound by control room of Congressman Jordan at that rally, because I want to I dig a little deeper into it. By the way, Newsmax took that in full. I didn't sure see did. it on Fox, but let's take a look. Tonight, as we sit here and talk, you can't go to your capital to petition your member of Congress to redress your grievances because Nancy Pelosi won't let you in. And, free, and freedom of the press, you know, All right, Congressman, give us a sense of the crowd. I mean, I watched it, but for the people who didn't catch it, I mean, just tell us what, what, what was no, the energy it was, like? It was huge. The energy was tremendous. They love this president. They love this president not just because he is doing the things he said he would do, but mostly because they know he's fighting for them. They know he cares about their values, their principles, the values and principles that I think make America the greatest country ever. That's what this is all. That's why they'll wait out in the, out in the heat on a hot Saturday afternoon. That's why they'll do it, because they know the country's at stake. And they totally dismiss this idea that from the left now which is that somehow that America's bad. They totally disagree with it like you and I do, like Mark does. They totally disagree with it. They know America's the greatest country. That's what this is all about. So, and the idea that over the last year, every single freedom we enjoy under the First Amendment has been assaulted, that bothers them too. And that's why they were there supporting President Trump. True patriotic Americans were there. Mark, I, I watched, uh, again, on Newsmax, just pointing it out, it wasn't on Fox, it was on Newsmax. <laughs> um, I, but, but it strikes me, you know how a hurricane uses the warm ocean water to fuel the spin and, and, and the wind. It felt like as, as uh, former President Trump was on that stage, he was being fueled by the energy of that crowd. You were there for a lot of those rallies in 2020. Tell us what you thought of this rally. Well, listen, this rally was no less uh, energetic. And quite frankly, I was I was shocked at the number of people. In fact, there were more people in the waiting group to get in uh, to see the rally than has ever shown up at a Joe Biden uh, car rally. I, I can I can tell you. I mean, but but it's not only that you don't see a defund the police, uh, you know, placard up there. You hear chants of USA, USA, and we love our law enforcement and our military men and women. Awesome. What you see are, are great Americans and the energy that, that the president gets to not only have reflected through, uh, through his comments, but also you feel it in the crowd. Jim, Jim was there. You, you, know, you feel it in the crowd and the energy that's there. You have people that have shown up time and time again that continue to come, that perhaps this is their first political rally ever. I had a 78-year-old woman show up who had never voted that came to one of these and said, you know, the reason why I'm doing it is because Donald Trump is just like yep. me. Yep. 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 Well, I'll tell you what, you know, they, they, like I said, that, that analogy of the hurricane, I can't imagine what, what, what Florida, Sarasota, Florida, would be like on Saturday. Hurricane Trump continues to spin through the country. Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, thank you both for joining us. You bet. Thank Thanks, you, sir. Eric. All right, we're now 18 months into the crime crisis in America, and the numbers keep on skyrocketing from one coast to the other. But Congresswoman AOC thinks it's all a joke. Hear what she had to say next. Plus, don't you just love to see the big smiles on their faces? Those are smiles of Biden and his crew 
and some of our side too, spending $1 trillion of your tax money. We'll talk Biden's new infrastructure deal with Senator Lankford in studio. All this after the break. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. We are seeing these headlines about percentage increases. Now, I want to say that any amount of harm is unacceptable and too much, but I also want to make sure that this hysteria, you know, that this doesn't drive a hysteria and that we look at these numbers in context so that we can make responsible decisions about what to allocate um, in that context. Did you hear that? Hysteria. That was Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calling the outrage over violent crime spikes across this nation a, quote, hysteria. So she thinks this is all some sort of joke. I don't know. These numbers reflect the crimes happening in our Democrat-run cities. This is all happening amid major calls to defund our police, a time when our police are needed the most. I want to bring in our next guest, St. Louis Police Sergeant and widow of former retired St. Louis Police Chief David Dorn. He was shot and killed by BLM rioters last summer during the rise of the violence, which seems to still be going on 18 months later. And Dorn, again, our condolences for your loss, and thank you for joining us. Sergeant, uh, when you hear things like that, calling uh, this spike in crime hysteria, what, how does it make you feel? Um, it's disturbing. It's very disturbing. Um, these are real crimes. We have real victims. We have families that are being victimized. And for her to call it hysteria is just ridiculous. So you lost your husband, um, a year ago to this, do you, do you see, when you see the crime still happening in cities like Portland on, on, on the West Coast or Chicago, where dozens, dozens of people are being shot every single weekend, what, make, what do you feel when people call for defunding police departments? How does that make you, that, it enrages me, it must enrage you as well. It does. Um, people just aren't realizing they're following the hype and hysteria that the Democrats are putting out there. Um, Defunding the police. If you defund the police, who's going to defend the people? When you're in a crisis, who do you call? You call the police. Mm -hmm. When you're being shot at, who do you call? You call the police. And to defund us, the officers, you know, are not getting any support from the public, and they're 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 fleeing the agencies and going looking for other jobs outside of police work. You know, most agencies are a crisis now for manpower, and the officers are sticking around or are, are are suffering. Um, both physically and mentally, trying to work. And um, it's just ridiculous. And the crime is just going to continue to go up until they realize, you know, we need to better fund our police officers. We need to make sure they have the proper equipment. And it's not more training. It's better training. We need better training and we need to take care of our police officers. Yeah, maybe it's both. Maybe it's more and better training. I'm not taking anything away from cops, but listen, more assets will create, will uh, allow us to have really, really stronger police force on the streets, which, which is what we need. There are those on the left, and let's take a listen to a former LAPD officer, Cheryl Dorsey. She was a guest on MSNBC this weekend, and she slammed police. Now, this is a former officer. Listen how she, she took the fight right to cops. Take a listen. 
We have to get to the root of the problem. Why do you think we're seeing an uptick in crime happening right now? Officers now we see across these 18,000 police departments are butthurt because, you know, they can't run willy-nilly through a police department and abuse with reckless abandon. So they're stepping away from specialized units, too cowardly to quit outright the department, but they're stepping away from units on the Columbus Police Department, the rapid response team, an entire platoon of SWAT officers walked away in Miami. And so I don't think it's a coincidence. And listen, bad guys know that cops aren't responding, that they're not coming out when they're capering. And so I think it's a combination of things. I'm quoting her. Uh, this is, again, this is Cheryl Dorsey. She said, cops are butthurt, they're cowardly, and they walked away. What say you, Sergeant? I'm outraged by it. I am outraged. Um, officers are not butthurt. The officers that are out there every day are putting their lives on the line for people, and they are dedicated. They want to do their job. They want to help the communities. Um, they're just not getting the support they need, and everything that happens is being blamed on them. They're being blamed for the problems, not the criminal who's committing the crimes, the officers are getting blamed, you know, when they arrest someone, that they did something wrong, or maybe they're just misunderstood. No, these criminals are committing violent crimes, and they have to be held accountable. You know, it, it strikes me, I'm, I'm sitting here in New York City, and Mayor de Blasio last year decided to pull a billion dollars from law enforcement, and somehow they're surprised that crime is spiking here, or under AOC's view, it's, it's all hysteria, and it's not really happening. But the numbers are the numbers. And by the way, I did a little math, a little pencil to paper math uh, in, in, the, in the monologue. And crime's going up, violent crime's going up, murder's going up, shooting instances yeah. are going up. That's the numerator. And the denominator happens to be liberal Democrat mayors of big cities. So can we point the finger at the Democrat mayors of the cities? Oh, yeah, definitely. They are not supporting their officers. And they're not, they're trying to find different ways to combat, combat crime, like putting social workers in police cars. Social workers don't want to be out there. They're not going to respond on a call without a police officer, at least all the social workers social I know worker. that I've worked with over What's the years. What's a social worker going to do in St. Louis when there's a call for domestic violence going on behind closed doors? I mean, how scary is that to knock on the door not knowing if there's a gunshot coming through the door? Tell us. They're going to call the police. They're going to call the police. They're not going to be able to do anything. And, you know, I've worked with social workers for the last three or four years, and all of the ones I've worked with said, we're not going on those calls without the police. We're not even going to someone who has a, a mental disability or disturbance when they're in a crisis without a police officer, because we don't know how they're going to react. You know, I, so, I, I, I want to point out one more thing, Sergeant, and, and I've known this because I've talked yes. to cops for, for 15 years on television. There's a point. You, you have a split-second decision to defend yourself whether to pull a trigger, pull a taser, pull a, pull a handgun, a firearm, and you have a split-second decision once you've pulled whichever one you're going to use to actually uh, engage it. Yes. If cops are concerned about what the public outcry or the mayor's office outcries or the media's outcry is going to be, and they just hesitate a split second, aren't we putting these people's, your lives, Sergeant, uh, on yes. the line? Yes. You're, you're jeopardizing the lives of officers and and... You know, and then you have more victims. You have family of children who are two children who are now suffering because they've lost their father, mother, yeah. brother, and sister. guess what? You take a cop down in a disturbance. That cop's not there to save some kids that might be at risk in that same situation. St. Louis Police Sergeant yes. Ann Dorn, we thank you very much for joining us again. Our condolences to you and your family. 
Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you. Coming up, Mark Milley making lots of headlines after last week's testimony on the House floor. Stay with us. Dinesh D'Souza reacts to the general's woke testimony. That's next. You're on the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. I think I'm experiencing some brown rage at General Milley. I'm just thinking about this puffed up peacock, this uh, pied piper, this um, just um, meddled buffoon sitting up there. And um, saying with this oracular authority stuff that is manifestly, manifestly false. Who would want to join the military when you become demonized by your own leaders in this way? What you have here, I think, is a complete ignoramus posing as an intellectual. Uh, and moreover, the harm that he's doing is really what disgusts me. General Mark Milley dropped a major bomb last week while testifying before the House, suggesting that he wanted to investigate white rage and its role in the military. Now, Dinesh Suzo, that was you saw him reacting to it. Dinesh, thank you for being here. Before you respond, I want to show people what Milley said that had you really heated up. Take a listen. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America. All right. So, Dinesh, it got you, got you riled up, got a lot of us riled up, but, but for good reason. Why is a general, why is he wasting his time worrying about a study on whether or not white rage even exists at all? Your thoughts? Well, he, he seems to have uh, adopted the idea that January 6th was motivated by white rage. Now, in fact, it had nothing to do with white rage. It was motivated, really, by a bunch of people uh, who felt that the election had been stolen and wanted an honest count. They were coming to demand that of their elected officials. Uh, so there was no effort here to, quote, overthrow the Constitution. So here you've got this guy uh, reading into the event something that was manifestly not part of the event. And, and Dinesh, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but this, this, this hearing was on whether or not critical race theory should be part of military doctrine, whether it should be, it should be uh, introduced and taught within the military, yet somehow Milley decided to change the narrative and, and, and flip it. Does that, is that not a red flag? Well, no, I think part of what he was trying to say is that the most serious national security threat that we face is not from radical Islam, is not from China, but it's from like the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys. So what we're dealing with here, we're not talking about the fact that, oh, gee, you know, they're assigning a few books about diversity in the military. No, you've got our top general who doesn't seem to have any basic understanding of the threats we're facing on the world stage. Um, now, he goes on to, you know, anchor his argument in American history, and he talks about, quote, the three-fourths clause. Now, I find it hard to believe that the guy went to Princeton because... Um, all educated people know that at the time of the founding, there was something called the three-fifths yes, clause, yeah. but it had nothing to do with the intrinsic worth of blacks or anyone else. It emerged out of an argument between the North and the South, and the North, which was the anti-slavery side, wanted blacks to count for zero. 
And the South wanted blacks to count for one. They, they compromised on three-fifths. But the bottom line of it is, here's a guy who's well-educated, it seems, running our defense institution. He wants, he says the defense department is kind of like a university, but it's obviously a university with an ignoramus as its, as its president. And my biggest problem with this, it's fine. Have your opinion on what the biggest threat to the United States is, national security threat, whatever. I believe it's, it's, it's North Korea. I think it's probably Iran. Maybe China. Maybe China is, is, is secretly or quietly becoming the biggest superpower in both finance and, and military, and they want to overtake us. Those are things that I, I think I, I, I stay up at night worrying about. I don't worry about some people, which, by the way, is, 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 did he mention Antifa? Did he mention BLM as potential threats to national security? I didn't hear him say that. It was all about white rage. Why do we have a woke general speaking and testifying on Capitol Hill. I think that's because he realizes that the power structure in America at this time is dominated by the left, not only politically, but also culturally. Uh, he feels that that is the side in which his bread is buttered career-wise. And so I think he's looking forward. I don't think he's, he's actually a leftist. I think he's trying to ask himself, once I retire from the military, who's going to be giving me consultancies? Which corporations are going to put me on their board? So here's a guy who is, and a lot of our generals, unfortunately, these days are like this. They're not really generals on the battlefield so much as they are opportunists well, and bureaucrats yeah. who know how to play the political M game. Millie just basically sent his resume to CNN and MSNBC for, for his post-career uh, career, so to speak, I would say. Final thought? Well, I think I'm worried about the demoralizing effect on the military. They basically are classifying people who are patriotic, who are MAGA, who are Trump supporters as, quote, extremists. The term extremist is their definition, and they have left-wing Antifa types who decide who is an extremist. And then they feed this information up the totem pole of the military, and then they start targeting those people, harassing them, and in some cases, driving them out of the service. It's horrifying. All right, I'm going to leave it right there, Dinesh Souza. Always good to talk to you. Again, the Dinesh D'Souza podcast. Check it out. Thank you. My pleasure. Coming up, President Biden and 10 bipartisan senators reached a deal on infrastructure, but hours later, he walked, the president walked back on actually signing the plan. We have the latest because it flips around a whole bunch. That's next. Everybody, come on up. We had a uh, really good meeting and answer your direct question, we have a deal. Well, that was President Biden on Thursday announcing an infrastructure deal that has been reached between a group of 10 bipartisan senators with both sides having to compromise. Biden is now facing pressure from progressives after Biden announced the bipartisan plan Thursday morning. Later that day, he walked back his comments on signing the deal. Take a listen. The bipartisan bill from the very beginning was understood there's going to have to be the second part of it. I'm not just signing the bipartisan bill and forgetting about the rest I, that I proposed. Okay, got that? So we signed a deal. Two hours later, wait a minute, I'm not signing that deal. Comes with the other deal, right? Now the president has come forward after that second quote. He said in a statement, quote, my comments also created the impression 
that I was issuing a veto threat on the very plan I had just agreed to, which was certainly not my intent. Got that? Joining us now, Oklahoma Senator James Langford, who is also a member of the Senate Finance Committee, not part of that group. Senator, they looked extremely happy to spend our money. Can you take us through what happened there? It looked like there was a deal. Then Biden says, oh, no, no, deal only comes with this other right. $4 trillion extra dollars or more. Right. And then he said, wait a minute. No, I was kidding. I, I'm, I'm confused. Help yeah, we, we're all confused on it because the, the group of 11 Republicans that were in that uh, conversation all had a central part of that conversation. This is the parameters of the deal. This doesn't go beyond this. Everyone all looked at it and said, yes, we've got to work out the details, but this is the parameters of the deal. Two hours later, it was a simple $6 trillion addition mm -hmm. uh, to the deal that they actually made. And then Biden has been back and forth on whether that's part of the so, deal so or not I, part of the I deal. Can I just, just help us out here? Because we're, we're learning. We're, we're not on Capitol Hill. Right. You're a U.S. senator. You're a Republican. Um, there is a group of Republicans that were part of that group. Do you proxy your vote saying whatever you guys come up with? I'm going to sign. Oh, no. Oh, no. I, I'm, I'm responsible with people of Oklahoma to be able to look at it on my own. There, there are. 21 individuals that were actually trying to find if they can get to an infrastructure uh, compromise. Uh, 10 Democrats, 11 Republicans. We've worked on infrastructure every year. I mean, infrastructure is not a partisan issue. Everybody's got about highways and bridges and everybody's about waterways. I mean, th those aren't Republicans or Democrats that are driving on that. So infrastructure is not partisan in the past. The partisan issue is always, how do we pay for it? Mm -hmm. Is it actually real? And is there going to be a bunch of extra junk that people are just throwing out there? And, and, and what is infrastructure? Correct. Yeah, how, trying how to they, define how what it, it is. How is this group or this deal defining what is infrastructure? Right. And so there, uh, initially Biden throws out a proposal, two and a half trillion dollars. It, it was crazy. Everything uh, was infrastructure. I actually pulled a section of it, spoke on the floor of the Senate and said one of the things in his infrastructure proposal is new lunch trays in school lunches. Okay. No one no one thinks infrastructure and they think lunch trays. Ah. Uh, so we, lunch we, infrastructure, yes. of course. So, so we we pushed back on all that and said, absolutely no way, we're going to do that. And then Biden starts working with one of our Republican senators, Shelley Moore Capito. They start trying to be able to work out a deal. They can't get it. This group of uh, bipartisan groups starts trying to be able to figure out how they're going to get it, and then invite Biden into the conversation. At the end of it, but, we've got to get infrastructure done, but we're not going to do this crazy do you, stuff. What do you think happened, Senator, between that first initial press conference where, where, uh, on the on the the, the uh, lawn right outside the lawn, right outside the West Wing? Right. Uh, what do you think happened from that moment to a couple hours later when he said, oh, no, 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 this deal, that was only part of the bigger deal? Yeah, I, I think what happened is some of his uh, staff got to him and uh, Schumer and Pelosi got to him and said, hey, we want to do this giant $6 trillion proposal. And if you, quote unquote, cut people loose to actually work on just infrastructure, then that's uh, that's the dessert portion of it. Put, we, puts that other piece of co risk. Correct. So so it's the, the rest of it's giant tax increases, giant changes in our economy uh, that they're looking at and saying, hey, that, that's kind of the spinach of this. Uh, the infrastructure is the dessert. We can't let them have dessert and not eat the spinach. So, so then he comes out and says that. To, to the group of reporters, and, and, and the right flips out, right? And should. Romney says, what's going on? Lindsey Graham called it a bait and switch. And then somehow it goes back to, oh, yeah, we'll sign that. How did that happen? So it went back to Biden saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to veto it. We're, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approve of this. But then quietly what they did is they had Schumer and Pelosi say, we will not bring up the infrastructure proposal until the other one's passed. Senator, is it that is it that wacky? Is it's it that, that swampy that in the, in the course of 24 hours, it flips three separate times from Correct. yes to no to yes to no to maybe yes again? So, uh, is, it, is, it, is it that or is it or does he not understand 
what the deals are or what what the nature of these negotiations are. Hard to be able to tell. He was in the Senate a very long time. So he knows the, the nature of all these different agreements that come and he knows the order of how it actually comes. But th there basically looks like Schumer and Pelosi are trying to be able to cover for Biden at this point, where Biden puts out this uh, moment. He says, no, both these have got to go together. And everyone says, you just changed the deal. And so Schumer and Pelosi come and say, we'll just do it first. We won't even bring the infrastructure package up until you do this giant tax increase, until this huge change in our on our economy. Once we do that, then we'll bring up the infrastructure package. And he's saying to all the other Democrats that were there saying, hey, we don't want to do all that stuff, saying you have to do this giant bowl of spinach That's crazy. before that, you actually That is, this. you know, they say watching the sausage being made. Right. That was the sausage being made on Capitol Hill in 24 hours with $6 trillion. $6 trillion. Dollars. Very quickly, sir, uh, will we get a, a an infrastructure deal and will we get the bigger deal, yes or no? Uh, I think the bigger deal, no. The infrastructure deal, yes. Uh, there's no way Republicans are going to come on board uh, to some giant $6 trillion proposal. That would actually kill our economy. We've already seen what happened with their $2 trillion proposal they put out earlier this year. That's radically increased our inflation. Uh, that's caused all kinds of issues and hiring problems all around the country. They wrecked our economy with what they called the COVID bill earlier this year. That was $2 trillion. They throw out a $6 trillion package on it as well. It's going to further wreck our economy. We're going to watch the price of everything go I'm up. I'm going to watch two heads explode if they get an infrastructure deal without the bigger deal. I think Ocasio-Cortez goes apoplectic, mm -hmm. and I think Bernie Sanders does the same thing. And they say, you know what, Biden? We got you elected. Maybe we shouldn't have done that. Couldn't happen to nicer people if it no, does. Senator, thank you. Senator, thank you, you very much for your time today. All right, we're joined now by Grant Stinchfield, host of Stinchfield, up next here on Newsmax. Grant, what do you got on the big show tonight? Buddy, you're watching a third head explode. Were these senators <laughs> lunatics? They really think that Joe Biden was going to negotiate with them? Why are we talking about infrastructure deals to even begin with? The Democrats don't negotiate with us. They don't compromise with us. Eric, that's what my whole show was about tonight. We need the Tea Party back. I'm tired of the leadership in Washington by Republicans. We got Joe Biden as a great threat, but leadership in Washington for Republicans is another huge threat. And just listening to this, boy, I'll tell you what, I cannot wait for my show tonight. Well, you have to wait just a few more minutes, Grant. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to it. Sounds great. <laughs> you got it, All right, guys, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Former Ohio Congressman Jim Renacci has had it with Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. Renacci, a Republican, launched his campaign for governor of Ohio earlier this month. And in his new campaign ad, he's giving the Republican Governor DeWine a run for his money. Take a look. Okay, let's bring in Jim Renacci right now. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Jim. Congratulations on your new ad. Give us a little sense. I guess that's uh, that was DeWine's idea to reward or lottery, give away a lottery money to people so they get vaccinated. Is that what that was all about? Well, absolutely, Eric, and thank you for having me. Think about it. We're going to throw $5 million out, a million dollars a week, just to try and get people to get vaccinations. Now, let me tell you what it did. 25 days prior to his announcement, we were averaging 17,000 vaccines a day. 25 days after his announcement, 
we're averaging 16,000. And the last couple of weeks, we're only averaging 5,000. So we wasted $5 million of taxpayer money. Now, Governor Dwine will tell you, well, it's not taxpayer money, it's COVID money. Well, I got to tell you, the money is still coming from the taxpayers going to the federal government. And there are a whole bunch of other places we could have used that $5 million here in Ohio. You know, Jim, um, so, so look, I, I, there, was a big, um, there was a big rally in Ohio this past weekend. Newsmax uh, carried the, the rally. It was a Trump rally. It wasn't on Fox. It was on Newsmax. You know who I didn't see there? I saw Jim Jordan there. You know, I saw um, Marjorie Taylor Greene there. You know who I didn't see? The governor of Ohio was not at the Trump rally. Why do you think that is the case? Well, he would have been booed. And actually, absolutely, he was not there. I was there as well. I spoke to my friend Jim Jordan. Uh, I traveled and walked around the crowd, talked to so many people who would have booed this governor if he would have been there. And let's face it, for the last couple of years, he has not followed the Trump agenda, the mega agenda. He has not followed. That's why our state is failing. You know, in the month, this past month, the Bureau of Labor Statistics just came out. We're ranked 50th, 50th in jobs, you know, job growth, 50th out of the country. These are the kind of things that Republican government, by the way, I'm not sure Governor DeWine is a Republican. I've said that he's run this state like Governor Cuomo. He was competing with Governor, governor Cuomo the whole time during the COVID crisis. Very quickly, I only have about a half a minute or so, Jim. Tell us how DeWine is polling in the state of Ohio. Well, it's interesting. Uh, we just got out of the field with a poll. There's only 16% of Republicans that will support him. 35% say they will never support him again. 15% say they will most likely not support him. So he, as a Republican governor, after two and a half years, Republicans are not supporting this governor moving forward. All right, gubernatorial candidate for governor of Ohio, Jim Renacci. Thank you. Times Square looked like a scene from Back to the Future this weekend. We got more on exactly what that is next. Tonight, we are a country awakened to danger. Tear down this wall. Not by the color of our skin, but by the content of their character. Ask what you can do for your country. Okay, check this out. A couple of pieces of tape. A man by the name of Hunter Kowald was seen hoverboarding through Times Square this weekend. Take a look at that. The engineer and popular YouTuber described his invention as the, quote, world's most efficient and powerful personal hover aircraft. I just can't stop watching that. That video is absolutely unreal. Back to the future, folks. That's what they say. And it's happening. And by the way, he got a permit to do that in Times Square. Next, we have a huge crash during the Tour de France caused by a spectator's sign. You see that? The spectator, you got to feel bad for her, too. I believe it was a her, will be sued, but has now fled the country. This is very, very tough to watch. I'm told only two riders had to pull out, only one of them because of the crash. So, and I also told that, she said that something about my hi to my grandmother and grandfather on that side. But I know, I just can't stop watching that. A lot of people are upset by the video. I don't know, call me crazy, I'm laughing. That's it for us tonight. See you tomorrow night, everybody.